1: Who's leading the race right now? And who will ultimately be the next mayor of Detroit? This is Sunday, It's
2: 2001, an election year, and a controversial character from a prior episode is running for mayor.
1: If you've picked up a paper, turned on a radio or TV, you probably know City Council President Gil Hill is the early favorite to succeed as mayor of Detroit.
2: Gil Hill, the former head of the Detroit Police Homicide Division. The FBI believed he was corrupt, They investigated him for allegedly taking bribes to cover up the murder of a 13-year-old boy.
1: Baggage? He is perceived to have close ties to a police department struggling to correct its inadequacies while enduring a federal investigation into its practices.
2: Soon after the FBI started taking a look at Gil Hill, he retired from the police department and ran for city council president.
3: People began to refer to me as mayor. Uh, Of course, I didn't let that influence me. And I had to think about it. I had to discuss it with my family, of course. I had to determine whether or not we could raise the monies to win. And uh, lo and behold, it became apparent that all of those things could happen. And I announced that I was going to enter the mayor's race.
2: Now, Gil Hill was poised to become mayor.
1: Hill's numbers appear to be getting stronger as the primary draws closer. But there was one man
2: who might just be able to stop him. His name, Kwame Kilpatrick.
4: We want our citizens to go to the ballot box and decide whether they want to move forward or whether they want to stay in the mud. Right. That should be the decision that citizens are making in the ballot One, box. Two, three, now.
2: Today on the show, the 2001 race for mayor pits Detroit's past against its future. I'm John White. Welcome to Crime Town. Out,
5: Detroit's first African-American mayor, Coleman Young, has died. He was 79.
6: Gil and Hill and I were friends. When I got money from these drug dealers, Gil was always there with his hand out, you know. People in Detroit are really looking for a messiah, not a mayor.
7: I won a contest in my school. It was a Black Studies contest. And uh, the prize was to go and meet Coleman Young, the mayor of Detroit. And I was nine years old.
2: According to Kwame Kilpatrick, his political ambitions began with a visit to the mayor's official residence, the Manoogian Mansion.
7: It's a little a meeting, greeting area. And he came down the stairs, and uh, we shook his hand. So I couldn't even breathe. And I only met him for like two minutes, John. I mean, it was like uh, quick. But for me, as a, as a nine-year-old kid, I thought it was, it was a long time.
2: There's a photo of this moment. Nine-year-old Kwame, looking nervous but excited, stands next to a smartly dressed Coleman Young.
7: From that day forward, I told everybody I would be mayor. So it was never anything else I wanted to be. I didn't want to be president. I wanted to be mayor of the city of Detroit since I was nine years old. And I told everybody that.
2: And the first person he told was his mom, Carolyn Cheeks
6: Kilpatrick. We also have with us, from the state legislature, Representative Carolyn Kilpatrick.
5: Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. uh,
2: Carolyn was first elected to the Michigan House of Representatives in 1978. Here she is speaking alongside Coleman Young at an anti-crime summit a few years later.
5: Not just locking people up, but re-employing them, retraining, and all that goes with that. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and I stand ready to support you.
2: Tell me about your mother. Can you describe her?
7: Uh, my mother's my hero. She, she's my hero. She is the epitome of a public servant and and somebody who really committed her life and was truly called to deliver. I was always strong enough to be different. I, I just credit my parents for that. And, and my father was funny. He'd make you feel bad if you wanted to follow the crowd. And so I didn't have to follow the crowd.
6: He was uh, very inquisitive, for one thing. He wanted to see what was going on around him.
2: This is Bernard Kilpatrick, Kwame's father. He worked on Carolyn's first campaign and served in local government himself. But he and Carolyn divorced when Kwame was young.
6: Politics had nothing to do with it. It was a lot of other things, you know. The normal kind of things that that, uh, uh, guys who think they're Romeo And trying to maintain a marriage at the same time. Those kind of problems, you know. Um, What do you mean by that? (laughs) (laughs) You don't need a picture. Yeah. No, I mean, I had uh, uh, like a couple of affairs. Five or six.
2: Kwame lived with his mother, who kept a watchful eye on her son and made sure he stayed on the right track. Kwame played football in high school and went on to college.
7: And uh, my mother was very strict. But in my college graduation, I was walking across the stage and she was standing there at Florida M. and she took a picture and she was crying and she was just boohooing and sobbing. And I grabbed her and I hugged her and I said, Mom, you were so mean when we were growing up. And she said, I wanted you to get to this moment right here.
2: Kwame got a job teaching middle school in Detroit, and he put himself through law school. Then, in 1996, his mother decided to make a run for US Congress, and Kwame saw a chance to take her seat in the State House. But not everyone was on board. So, as a
5: mother, I wore my mother hat, not my political hat. I was concerned. It's a lonely job. You know, all you all see is the receptions and people smiling and all of that. But public service, if you're committed to it, and and that's how we raised him, that's what I did in my 32 years. committed to serving, to representing, to speaking, to bring the resources in. I know how hard it is sometimes.
6: It was the age-old battle between me and his mother about whether or not he was ready.
7: I went to my father. He thought it was an excellent idea. (laughs) He said, man, you should run. You know, you got to go right now. This
6: is the time. And my position was he was ready three years ago. His background got him ready. This guy was out here handing out leaflets talking to people when he was 11. When is he going to be ready? If he ain't ready, shit. Nobody's ever ready. He's He's the smartest guy I know.
2: Now, all Kwame needed was a campaign manager.
5: He was like, listen, my family doesn't want to really support this. They don't really want me to run. So I got to do this on my own.
2: This is Christine Beatty, Kwame's close friend from high school. What would you say to her?
7: I said, I'm about to run for political office state rep, the job that my mom had. You know, they all knew what my mother did. And I said, I, I want you to help me. I want you to manage my campaign.
5: What? I know zilch. But Kwame felt like, listen, we have a good base. We have the Kilpatrick name. We walked and knocked on about 5,000 doors that summer. We let people know who he was, a son of the community, and it resonated with people.
7: Our campaign uh, slogan was generation to generation, basically, um, you know, in allusion to the fact that my mom represented the district for 18 years. It was time to, to pass the torch, and it was from one generation, Carolyn Kilpatrick, to Kwame Kilpatrick, and that's the kind of campaign we ran.
2: And it worked. In 1996, both Kilpatricks won. Carolyn headed to Washington, and Kwame headed to Lansing, to the Michigan State House, where he quickly became popular with his fellow representatives. And the things that he did
6: in his first years, he did stuff nobody ever done.
2: Bernard remembers Kwame's second term,
6: when he ran for House Minority Leader. You can't win it for House Leader with just Flint, Detroit, places that black folks are. You've got to have white support. How did he get that? He went to all these white places. He went to up in Michigan. I mean, you know, I don't know if you know anything about the Upper Peninsula, but it's all white. He was at the annual ice festival in the Upper Peninsula, the first black guy they had ever seen up there. <laughs> I walk around, hugging people, talking to state reps, talking to local officials, Democratic Party. He. It was incredible. I mean, he called me from up there. You know, I'm actually having fun. I said, "Something wrong with you, man. <laughs> you you're up there in the ice, man. They said, yeah, man, got to do it. It's, it's almost like he enjoyed going in the areas that black folks have never been in. I mean, that, that kind of personality, that's just something you have, man. He didn't get that from me or his mother or nobody. He could. He was really, really good. This guy could do whatever it is he wanted to do. Please welcome the floor leader of the House Democratic Caucus, Michigan Representative, Kwame Kilpatrick.
2: At just 30, Kwame was a rising star in Michigan politics. And it wasn't long before he was invited to speak at
4: the 2000 Democratic National Convention. Let us be the generation that fulfills indeed our own destiny. Join me America in standing up for Al Gore and Joe Lieberman, the next president and vice president of these United States of America. Thank you very much.
8: Well, you know, I was not thinking about running for mayor. You know, that was not even on my mind. And I was driving into work, and I was listening to uh, news radio, and I heard that Dennis Archer was retired.
2: Dennis Archer was the mayor of Detroit at the time.
8: When I got back to the city of Detroit that day, um, I went by my father's office. I was kind of like one of the first to say,
6: this guy could be mayor,
8: and I think he'd be a damn good one. I said, I I was not feeling it.
6: That night,
2: Kwame couldn't sleep.
8: <laughs> and um, I was up told him all night, and so I went in the basement. I took the Bible with me, and I and I did something that I thought was crazy, but it, it was crazy like a fox. Uh, I just I prayed. I said, God, listen. If you want me to run for mayor, just show me in the Bible. And I opened it and put it on the floor. I was on my knees and put it on the floor, and I put my eyes down, and they fell right on Second Samuel five, and it was a story about David. It was a story about being 30 years old and the elders coming to him and asking him uh, to be king. I said, oh my God, I got this message. I was so excited. That was for me, 30 years old. uh, And I took it and I ran upstairs. I said, Carlita, I woke her up. It was like one in the morning.
2: Kwame told his wife, Carlita, about what had just happened.
8: She was like, well, I said, listen, I just read the I'm supposed to run from there. She looked at me. She said, "Okay, I'm going to sleep. (laughs) So she wouldn't sleep. She was just, she was just on board. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I thought it was a miracle from heaven. The next day, I told everybody I was running for mayor. And from that day forward, my life has been going 100 miles an hour.
5: Kwame came in, and he, I mean, he, he's very charismatic, really smart.
2: You weren't swayed by that at all.
5: Not remotely. I mean,
2: this is Sheila Cockrell. She was on the Detroit City Council at the time. No. Remember the first time you became aware of Kwame Kilpatrick's aura?
5: I wouldn't call it an aura. Um, <laughs> well, he um, had a char-
2: you said a
4: charisma. He, he had
5: some f- charisma, but it was no aura. He let um, me tell you this: anybody who starts off with a story about how the Bible fell open and the passage about the shining city on the hill, my thing is this. Well, I'm. This is um, fake. I thought it was pure theater. I mean, I'm thinking, well, I guess he's got, he's got balls, I mean, he'll, and and people will buy this stuff. I didn't support him, I, I supported Gil Hill.
1: If you've picked up a paper, turned on a radio or TV, you probably know City Council President Gil Hill is the early favorite to succeed as mayor of Detroit.
2: Kwame was up against a seasoned politician with a head start a guy who had built relationships in the city while Kwame was off serving in the state legislature. And Gil Hill was a local celebrity.
7: So he was very, very down to earth even after the Beverly Hills cop stuff. We went to meet him in his office at the city council. And uh, I said, I'm really, Uh, Jumping in this thing, I'm about to announce I'm going to run. And, you know, he said, well, brother, you're not going to win,
3: brother.
4: (laughs) I officially declare myself as a candidate for the mayor of the city of Detroit.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
4: you pay for the space you occupy. My father ran a two-person campaign when I was 12 years old. I told y'all he had two suits. He think
6: he's the sharpest guy in the world. I'd say, I taught him everything. He was way better than me. He was the best campaigner I've ever seen.
2: Bernard Kilpatrick knew that part of his son's appeal came from his appearance. 6'4", 300 pounds,
6: you couldn't miss him. Just that gregarious size, He'd pick up little kids like they were (sighs) dolls. You know, a big fella. He was the ultimate campaigner.
0: Kilpatrick says he is out campaigning a minimum of 12 hours a day. He says visibility is the key.
6: Uh, Stay stay
4: visible. Uh, Stay involved. Uh, And I'll see you uh, in a neighborhood near you pretty soon. Let's continue to move forward. Let's start our future right here, right now.
5: Our strategy and our slogan because we we wanted to play on the young thing, and it was you're young, and you can do something in the future.
2: Again, Christine Beatty, Kwame's high school friend and campaign manager.
5: So we sat down, we had a session, and we came up with the slogan, "Our future, right here, right now." But we're all coming together and starting
6: our future here in this city, right here, right now.
5: Thank you very much.
2: People of Detroit responded.
5: You know, I like Gil Hill. You know, I voted for him every time at the uh, council, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's time for some young blood.
4: We feel that Kwame Kilpatrick has a vision, has youth, has energy, and is honest and and has integrity to be our mayor.
1: Let's take a look at the two most recent polls. Gil Hill remains the front runner, but the top three candidates, including Kwame Kilpatrick... Both and Hill Cohen, and O'sho candidate
5: Kwame Kilpatrick are pegged in the polls as top vote-getters in tomorrow's contest. But as Kilpatrick roused supporters tonight, he says he's not taking preliminary numbers for granted.
4: Uh, we can't even see after the primary. We're, we're looking at September 11th.
5: September 11th, 2001, 9-11, is our primary election day. That morning, I remember... I was to the campaign headquarters and I remember looking at the television.
1: We're back at nine o'clock Eastern time on this Tuesday morning and we're back with dramatic pictures of an accident that has happened just a and short And they were time
5: showing ago. the plane flying into the towers. And I mean, I was so mesmerized by it. Like I couldn't believe that that had I mean, like most of us, like WTH. I'm sorry. What? The
1: twin towers. You can see fire and flames or smoke. Billowing from that tower, there is a Although
2: the voter turnout the was low, Kwame won the primary.
5: I remember that night, um, we got, the you know, election came and we came out on top. We won the primary. Of course, everything was very subdued. We did no sort of celebration.
2: In Detroit's nonpartisan election system, the top two vote-getters in the primary move on to the general election, which meant Kwame had to face Gil Hill again.
0: The
1: big story on September 11th was supposed to be Detroit's mayoral primary. But as we all know now, city politics took a surreal backseat to the horrors at Ground Zero that day. On November 6th, Detroiters will choose a man to lead us into an uncertain future. Candidate Gil Hill is here this morning to talk about his more aggressive approach to the campaign and why he thinks Detroit needs an experienced leader.
7: And then Gil changed the game. Gil came out in the police outfit with with flags on a commercial and said, it's not the time for immaturity. This is a time for stability and security. You know, the country is, boy, his numbers changed
3: the next day. Mayor Giuliani's performance during those horrific times illustrate how important it is to have a person uh, on board who had had experience in deadly and trying times. And uh, I think it's something that people in this community will have to think about when they go to the polls to choose who's going to be their next leader.
7: I, and we were going to a debate, and we were in the back, and I said, Gil, you, you punched me in the mouth, man. That was excellent. <laughs> he said, something wrong with you. I said, no, that was good, man. Now You got it.
5: Detroit's mayoral candidates squared off for the first major forum since the terrorist attacks on primary day. And with the election just six weeks away, the candidates are starting to snipe at each other, with Hill questioning Kilpatrick's plans to revamp city government.
4: Either one of us that becomes mayor, that goes into this structure and tries to make it work, will fail.
3: It really needs to be blown up and put back together. Some things you cannot blow up. Some things, if you do blow them up, when the dust settles, the problems are still there.
2: With Election Day quickly approaching, Kwame had one last chance to win over
1: voters.
4: Hey, nice, nice. to meet you. Nice Kwame, Kelpatrick. Nice to meet you. Now, you vote? You register another time. Yeah, but
1: yeah, well, I got to The my... 31-year-old state rep was turning the last 24 hours of his campaign into a non-stop thon chatting up potential voters at one site after another. We're going to go to hospitals, uh, go to K-marts, we're going to
4: stay out here, we're going to locker room, clubs, we're going to find people wherever they are uh, and get our message across.
6: And, And people would come up to me, killer, man, man, I saw your son, man, that guy, man.
2: Here's Kwame's father, Bernard.
6: He is dynamic, he came in the club. I said, What? He came to the club, man. They stopped the music, and he talked for about 10 minutes. Had people hollering and screaming. Went left and went to another club. They rented a bus and went to all the black bars in the city that Friday. That hadn't been done. On election day, the polls had Kwame and Gil
2: Hill neck and neck.
8: We ran a suite in the um, Marriott Hotel downtown Detroit in the Renaissance building. Um, and people, we were watching the, the television. There were pastors there that supported me, my family, a lot of my family, uncles, aunts, cousins, um, parents. So it was, everybody's there. leader's there. You also, on the phone with insiders, people doing uh, exit polling and everything else, so it's a lot of information coming in all the time. And um, I'm kind of chill for most of the night. I'm not nervous at all. And so when they projected me as winning the election, um, that's when I said, wow. For a second, I was like, okay, we got the mission done.
4: We, as a Kilpatrick campaign and as a Detroit community, declare victory.
8: But then, when everybody was going crazy and crying, and oh my God, and this is history, and, and you see the reaction of people that are very close to you and people that supported you and people that worked hard and for that moment, that's when that, it hit. I was like, oh my God! To
4: be elected as the 60th mayor of this city.
8: I was celebrating outwardly, really, you know, shaking hands and smiling, but I, people that knew me could see that I wasn't as happy as everybody else. It's like uh, ch- the dog chasing the school bus and actually catching it. you know he 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 chases it and barks it and do it with such zealousness, but he really don't want to catch the school bus. you know that, that's kind of how that's kind of how I felt that night, and I was like, oh my God, I actually want job. I don't know how to be mayor. I was kind of panicking inside. And my mother saw me. And she said, well, I, son, I, let me talk to you in this room. And she took me into the bedroom part um, while people were celebrating. And she closed the door, and she hugged me. And she said, we sat down. And she said, your life is going to change from this point forward. She said, this is, this is something you asked for. It's a part of your course. And, and you need to accept it and be a leader. And she said something to me that was, i never forget this conversation. She said, um, Unfortunately, leadership is a very lonely position.
6: Thank you. Okay. Thank
8: you. Thank you. And so you see, you've been a part of teams and the Thank crowd your whole you life. Dignitaries that are but you're about to today. experience loneliness as you've never experienced it. Thank you
4: for being part of this.
8: She said, but you have chosen to be a leader, and so just lead.
4: It's time for all of us to rise up and step up to the mantle of leadership. It's time for all of us to rise up in this city. It's time for all of us to rise up and begin our future right here, right now. God bless you and thank you.
8: And so I didn't Understand at that moment what she was saying to me, particularly the truth and the profound illumination of it. I didn't understand it. I told her, as a matter of fact, I said, "So, Mama, be okay. Everything's gonna be all right."
2: How did that feel? The must have been a reality check of sorts.
7: It was. The job was tremendously stressful for me. People always ask me, even here. You know, did you like being there? Was it fun? And I, I didn't. I didn't. I did not like
5: This call is from a federal prison. <laughs> yeah,
7: it's about to cut off. I'm so sorry.
2: No, that's okay, man. Um, well, you know, we'll have to continue the conversation and... Uh that's it. Next week, Kwame's Troubles begin.
1: Questions, questions, so many questions. Confusing documents, odd explanations, a reporter pushed around by the mayor's security staff, and all over a $25,000 auto lease. How has it come to this?
2: Crime so to well, Town is Mark Smerling and Zach Stewart Pontier. This season is made in partnership with Gimlet Media and Spotify. This episode was produced by Soraya Shockley, Rob Zipko, Samantha Lee, and me, John White. The senior producer is Drew Nellis. Editing by Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smurley. Fact-checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Robin Shore. Original music this season, composed by Homer Steinweiss. We recorded some original music at Rust Belt Studios in Detroit in partnership with Detroit Sound Conservancy. Special thanks to Carlton Goals and Maurice Rest Head Heard. Additional music by Kenny Kusiak, John Kusiak, and additional mixing by Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Politicians in My Eyes by Death. Our credit music this week is True Story Part 2, by Fat Cat Archival research by Brennan Reese Additional archival courtesy of Tim and Tobias Smith They have a film called Cam K, a documentary of Kwame Kilpatrick. Check it out Additional archival material courtesy of WXYZ The Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University and the Detroit Historical Society Show art and design by James Cabrera And Elise Harvin. We've got a great website with bonus content for each episode, like photos, videos, and newspaper clippings, as well as a full list of credits and a transcript. This week, we've got tons of photos from the 2001 mayor's race between Kwame and Gill. Check it out at crimetownshow.com. Thanks to the Detroit Free Press Peter Batia, Jim Schaefer, Mary Schrader, Mary Wallace, Max White. Randy Lundquist, Eric Heatherington at DD Video, Devin Skillian, Melissa Sampson, the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Kari and Tunisia Turner, Miles Feldsott, and everyone who shared their stories with us. Detroit is an amazing place, and we're honored to tell a small part of its story. Alex Bloomberg is a podfather. A few years ago, Alex ran up to my desk. And I was like, what, what? And he said, listen, I just read the Bible. I'm supposed to make a podcast company.